From a Catholic background. Just throw your hand up if you're from a Catholic background. Okay, I'm from a Roman Catholic background as well. I was raised in a Roman Catholic background. And I always knew this if something was good for your soul, it definitely wasn't going to be enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> if it's good for your soul, you're going to hate it. There's going to be no pleasure or something that's good for your soul. So when I talk about something that's good for your soul, get that idea out of your head. This morning, I'm not going to talk about good for your soul. It's really going to hurt you and ruin you. I'm going to talk about good for your soul. What will do your life, your soul, your body so much good. Amen. But we have to be awake and aware to it. I want to, tell, I want to tell you about a quote I saw. I saw a quote some time back, a couple of years ago. And I found, when I looked at this quote, it kind of annoyed me because I thought it was just a bunch of sentimental nonsense. Okay? And it said this. It said, whatever's good for your soul, do that. Whatever's good for your soul, do that. And when I looked at it first, I said, ah, oh, what a load of sentimental nonsense. That's, you know, I like to things to be practical. That's a load of nonsense. But the more I thought about it, the more it kind of got under my skin, into my head, and began to roll around in my mind, I began to realize, you know what? As a Christian, there's no exception to that rule. In actual fact, it is true that whatever is good for your soul as a Christian, that's what you should do. If there's any question as a Christian about what you should do, do what's good for your soul. Amen. And I want to look at some things. I won't look at them all this week, but there are some things that we can do that are good for our soul. I won't look at them all today, but there are so many things we can do that are good for our soul. Now, you're saying, okay, I get that. What do you mean? If you're a complete stranger here to this, let me explain something. Some people think that we are more than just chemistry and biology. Can I get an amen? amen? That there is more to the universe than all that we can see. There is an immaterial spiritual world as well. Do I get, are we in agreement on that? Yes. Yeah. So, and many, of, many people think the current, current culture, especially the scientific culture, particularly believes that we are just a combination of unique biology and chemistry and a lucky bit of chance. But I don't believe that that's what the Bible teaches and I don't believe that's true at all. There's so much more to us than that. Some people would suggest, for instance, that we are what they call a trichotomy. That we are body, physical body, soul, and we are spirit. There's three parts to us. Some people think that and teach that. The Bible, however, teaches really, really, if you examine it from Genesis to Revelation, that we are two parts and that the words soul and spirit are used interchangeably throughout the Bible. Are you with me? Yeah. So in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, it says, for instance, in Genesis, when God created man, it says he made man out of the, formed him out of the dust of the earth, and it says he breathed the breath of God, ruach, the breath, also the same word for spirit. He breathed the breath of God into his nostrils and the man became a living nepesh. He became a living soul. That so it wasn't just that kind of spirit he can, but he was a complete soul. He had, he had both parts. He wasn't just a spiritual being and he wasn't just a physical being. He had both parts. He was a duality. In the New Testament, we see two words that are used very similarly as well. The word for spirit is the word pneuma. It's very similar again to the word pneumatic. It means breath or to breathe. And the word for soul is the word suke or psyche, from which we get psychological or psychosis. Are you with me so far? Yeah. So we are in, a set, in essence two parts. There's one key and very important difference between the two parts of us, however. Our physical body is mortal. 
But our spiritual body is immortal. We are immortal. Everything about you, who you in essence you are, except your body, will live forever. Hallelujah. Forever. Forever and ever and ever. That's how long you will live. You want to know how long will you have a conscious existence? Forever and ever and ever. It's so important for us to realize that because when we realize that, it means that if our souls live forever, then an investment in our souls is an investment in our eternal selves. Are you with me? Yeah. And like all investments, of course, there's a cost up front. You kind of have to put some effort. You have to put some, I use the word work, but I use it advisedly. You have to do some things that are maybe go against your immediate no experience so that you can invest in your soul. Yeah. C.S. Lewis, as you well know, is my favorite Irish writer. He's my favorite writer globally. And this is what he says. He says, when all the suns and all the nebulae have passed away, each one of you will still be alive. Mm. Imagine that. Imagine that when the sun is blown out at the heat depth of the universe. Who knows when it will be? It could be tomorrow. We don't know when it will be, but you will still be alive. Everyone in this room, everyone you know, everyone you've ever met, everyone you've ever heard of will still be alive. It's a thought, isn't it? Isn't it a thought? Wow, really? You mean that fellow that I insulted in traffic the other day when I called him an idiot and thought he got his license from a lucky bag? Yeah, he's going to live forever. You know, or the fellow who got in my way and annoyed me and asked him to get out of the way, or the person who told me to get out of the way, or my neighbor who turns up the music too loud. Yeah, he's going to live forever too. In actual fact, this is what Lewis continues to say. There are no ordinary people. You've never met a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, civilizations, these are all mortal. They will all die. And their life is to ours like the life of a gnat. It's so short. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors are everlasting splendors. Every single person you've ever met is immortal and you are immortal Hallelujah. take it into your soul because we get so taken down by the temporary and the word temporary means literally to be bound by time to be wrapped up in time we are so often bound up by time we live in what one what one theologian describes the tyranny of time. Time is always on our backs. It's always telling us there's not enough of it. We don't have enough of it. Or sometimes we think we have too much. But you know what? When he, any investment that we make in our time-bound existence, in our immortal souls, is an investment that pays off forever. What's the best single investment of my time? To be truthful, to be with Jesus. That's the single, single best investment. You know what? If I'm having a bad day and I go in and I pray, it changes my mind. Amen. It changes my mood and it changes the direction of my day. Amen. Absolutely changes it. Happens to me all the time. I can testify. There's two things I always say I never regret doing. Praying and running or exercising. Never regret them. Always be fantastic afterwards because I realize that my soul has been satisfied most specifically when I pray. You know, Jesus tells a fantastic story. And he offers to us 
an invitation to come and be with him, to feast with him in his presence. He tells a great story. You know, Jesus, in this story we're going to look at here, it's in Luke's Gospel, chapter 14. Jesus goes to the house of a Pharisee. He's a religious guy. He's a teacher of the law. He knows the Bible inside out and backwards. Every verse he knows of it. And yet Jesus seemed to show up at all of these parties and he seemed to insult people all the time. He kind of said, ah, he sits down at the table and he says, ha, ah, you hypocrites, would you mind passing me the salt there? You're all the same, you're a brood of vipers, the whole lot of you. The philosopher's nice, oh yeah. He did it all the time. He insulted people, what I mean by not gratuitously, but he spoke the truth to them and they were offended by the truth. All the time. So in this story, in this, in this account in Luke chapter 14, Jesus is at one of these parties. He's at a dinner party, in effect. And at the event, he has a conversation. And the conversation um, is engaged with by one of the leaders, one of these religious leaders who's sitting with him at the table. And let's see what the scripture says. It says this. A man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Remember, everywhere Jesus went, he talked about the kingdom of God, the place where God was ruling, the place where God was reigning. Was reigning. And so this guy obviously chimes in and says, imagine what it would be like, like we're here at a banquet, imagine what it would be like to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. And Jesus, never averse to taking an opportunity, says this. Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast. The man is God the Father. A man prepared a great feast and he sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, Come, the banquet is ready. There's an invitation, there's an invitation for every one of us inside in this hall, inside in this building here today. Come, come, the banquet is ready. The banquet of God's blessing. We've already heard about it. Can I get an amen? amen? The banquet of God's favor. The banquet of God's presence. The banquet is ready for us to eat. It's come on. He's saying, come on. This is it. Let's come. Let's go. Let's eat. You're all invited. Come on. Let's go. Who, who wants to come to the banquet in the kingdom of God? I want to go to the banquet. Come on. He says, it's all ready. He sends out invitations. Every single person here is invited to the banquet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah. But they all began making excuses. One said, I have to go shopping. Mm. <laughs> I just bought a field and I must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five pairs of oxen, a tractor in modern translation, and I want to try it out. Please excuse me. And another said, I just got married, so I can't come. They, what? But you've been invited to the feast. Like, you can't inspect the field tomorrow? The feast is today. You, 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 you can't check out the oxen tomorrow? No, you know you can't get married tomorrow, but hey, that's a different story. You see, and they all made excuses. And you know, this story doesn't take place in Ireland. You know it doesn't, because the excuses would be like this. I've just bought a field, and I'm not sure if I'll make it. <laughs> My mother said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen, and I can't say for certain that I'll be there. Because an Irish person say, I'm not coming to your face. They just won't, they won't. But you know, such pathetic excuses they make. They're invited to this important banquet, this important feast, and they begin to make excuses. And here's the thing. We are invited to God's banquet all the time. And yet, we seem to have these machines in us that manufacture excuses. 
I'm under time pressure. I've got a job to do. Oh, it's easy for you, Pastor Mike. You can just sit around praying all day. I have an actual job to do in an actual company for an actual employer. Oh, yeah? Because I'm doing nothing all day. I'm coming to lay hands on you. Brain Senate of all the people to say amen. I'm shocked at you. I hope they don't lose the keys when above in the prison. Oh, you've got a job? That, I, I mean, I can't pray. I mean, I've got a job to do. I've got, my boss has got a demand. I've got deadlines to meet. Listen, I've just bought five pairs of oxen. No, I don't know. Has anybody here in this room bought five pairs of oxen? I doubt it. Anybody here bought a tractor? I'd settle for a tractor. Anybody here bought a tractor? No. Anybody here buy a car? Anybody buy a car? Come on. No. Uh, uh, we bought. Uh, come on. Three of us bought a car. What's the rest of you? You steal them? <laughs> That's a nice car you got, Jay. I robbed it on the South Mass. Come on! How many people here have bought a car? Tell the truth. Doesn't matter. It could be a new one. It could be a second hand one. It could be a banger like mine. Aha, that's right. We're being honest now. You know what? Imagine you're invited to a great feast and Jesus is there. You go, no, I gotta go and die. You take out the car. I'll take out the new car! What kind of a pathetic excuse would that be? Check the car tomorrow. And my, 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 my own favourite is another said, I just got married so I can't come. Well, no, isn't that handy? I just got married. I mean, somebody else has plans for me. Oh, man, it's closing prayer now. It says another man, it's all, it's all about the man, you see. But a woman can say, I just got married, I can't come to the church, like. I mean, just have to get married, like. I have more important things to do. Right, I won't do a teaching point on that. We just move on swiftly. Amen. You know what? It's no excuse. It's no excuse when Jesus invites you to come to his feast. Attend his feast. Can I get amen? Don't let silly excuses get in the way. He goes on to say the servant returned and told the master what they had said. And his master was furious. And he said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town. Invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And after that, the servant had done this. He, re he reported, there is still room for more. Is there room for more in this house? Hallelujah. Is there room for more in this banquet? Yes. Lord, hear our prayer. There is room for more. Send Amen. more, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's room for more. Is there room for more in your heart and in your head and in yes. your soul? Yes. More people who need to know and love Jesus Christ and walk yes. with him. It goes on to say this. So the master said, go out into the country lanes, behind the hedges, and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. Hallelujah. For none of those I first invited will eat even the smallest taste of my banquet. Mm. Not even those who were invited. So in this case, in this, if you will, the primary hearers of this message, the immediate hearers of this message, they heard the message that they were the insiders who didn't respond to the invite and therefore they were the ones who would not get invited and that no, the invite was going out to everyone because they refused to come. If we refuse to respond, it's okay. God will invite someone else. Yeah. Yeah. He is still going to do what he's going to do. So I encourage you, when you hear God's voice speak to you and call you and invite you to the feast at his table, in his presence, with his blessing, Go to the feast. Yes. Can I get an amen? amen? See, Jesus also made an offer. He also invited people to come. You see, not only did he tell it in a parable, but he told it in real life teaching as well. Jesus said, 
Come, come to me. This is one of the statements he makes. This is from Mark's gospel. Calling the crowd to join his disciples. Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Hmm. Hmm. Take up your cross. Hallelujah. Hmm. And follow me. Follow me. Uh, oh, I only have for the blessings. <laughs> just, just a quick blessing there. Go on. No, Jesus said if you really want to experience the life that is true life, you must give up your own way. Give up your own way. You know something? Here's my experience. For what it's worth, I'm not, a, I'm not that old, but here's my experience. If you want to build any relationship with anyone, anywhere, you must give up your own way. Because you cannot have it all your own way. You can never have it all your own way. Can I get an amen? If you want to build a relationship with Jesus, it is exactly the same. It cannot be, Lord, come and bless my life. And I'm going to do my own thing. That's not going to work. You know what you do? Follow him because he's already blessing that. He's already blessing that. You must give up your own, take up your cross, which means you're going to have to take struggle and suffer. You're going to take trouble and, and pain. He says, and you follow me. But I love this. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. Amen. If you try to hang on to it, you're going to lose it. That's what's going to happen. Sisters, if your boyfriend, and I know there's a few of you here, so it's all waves, so we'll come back in a second. If your boyfriend wants to go, let him go. Yes. Let him go. If you try to hang on to him, you're going to lose him anyway. You're going to lose him anyway. Because you know what? I've never met a woman who likes a clingy man. <laughs> oh, I just want to be here with you all the time, honey. Is there any woman here who likes a man like that? Because we're going to lay hands on you. <laughs> or worse than no man likes a clingy woman. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Oh God. Oh God. Let me just go and lay hands on John here. Come out, foul spirits. No woman likes a clingy man. Would any of the sisters say that's true? That is true. Yeah, that is true. I love it. That is true. Forget your amen. That is true. They don't want to cling you, but I, oh, darling, please don't go. I don't know what I'm going to do. Don't you be so lonely? <laughs> if you want to give her an anaphylactic shock, try being clingy. It's not going to work. She's going to hate it. You take your hands off me. It's even the same with respect with parents and children. Most parents, most parents, don't want clingy children. You don't want children to go, oh, mommy, I'm so afraid to go to the world. Please, go, mind me, mind me. You don't want to do that. Most parents want their children to be independent. Yeah. Mommy, mommy, there's a man at the door says I can go with him. Absolutely. <laughs> Bye. Would you, do you want to make some lunch? <laughs> but parents want their children to be independent. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah. Would you agree? Would any parent agree with that? Try a hand up if you agree with that? Yeah, amen. <laughs> parents who cling to their children, you're going to lose them. Yeah. Children who cling to their parents are going to lose their parents. Because you know what? Whatever we cling to, whatever we hold on to, we're going to lose it. Yeah. You're going to lose it anyway. Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. You're going to lose it anyway. Jesus said, you know, if you hang on to your life, try to hang on to it, you'll lose it. And the pain of losing it will be far worse than the joy of holding on. Yeah. That's the plain truth. And let me use my clicker. So I say, he goes on to say this. He says, but if you give up your life, give it up for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And you know something? 
I mean with the deepest of respect to all of our lives, including mine, our lives aren't that brilliant. They're not, like, with respect. Is there anybody here as an Instagram influencer with four and a half million followers on Instagram? No. Anybody here a TikTok star? Any TikTok stars? I can dance, I can move, I can sing. Anybody? Any TikToks? Oh, come on yourself, Gabriel. Five thousand. Amen. Five thousand. Wow. My son put up a video of me singing. He got seventeen and a half thousand views. That doesn't make me famous. It's just never said people going. Ah, he's going. Yeah, done. That's it. Do you know what people on TikTok are thinking about? themselves. Yeah. The people who give you a little like on Instagram, do you know what they're thinking about? Themselves. They go, oh, sure, he's on a fantastic holiday. I wish I was on a holiday. Put a good like in it. <laughs> but none of us is that good. But if you give up your life, you give up your own way, you give up your own way of responding in trouble, you give up your own way of getting back your neighbor, you give up your own way of protecting yourself and look after yourself, you'll then you'll save your life if you give it up. Because he goes on to say this, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world? If you get all the followers in the world on TikTok and Instagram? If you get all the money in the world? If you win the World Cup? If you become the head of some major company like Apple? What do you gain? If you gain the whole world, but in the process, lose your own soul. It's your soul. It's your immortal part of you. And you sell it for a couple of beads and trinkets and a couple of pence or a few euros or a couple of million followers. What? Is that all your soul is worth? Is anything worth more than your soul? Jesus asks. Is anything? Follow me because nothing is more important and more valuable than your soul. It will last forever. You can know eternal life. It is immortal anyway, but you can live in life eternally. Can I get an amen? That's what he says. You see, because our focus so often comes onto the here and now and the immediate. And that's understandable because we're human beings living in physical bodies, in a physical world, and we can tend to understand things only in physical terms. And it can become a bit pervasive in our minds. Last week I was talking about Abraham. And Abraham, it says, traveled on his travels from where God called him into the land of Canaan, then down to Egypt and back to Canaan, up there and down and all over the place. But he traveled in a tent. And the symbolism of a tent is really important because a tent is a temporary structure. It's only a temporary structure. No matter how luxurious your tent is, it's only a temporary structure. That's all it is. No matter how luxurious your life is, it's only a temporary structure. You could live in Graceland in Memphis, Tennessee, but it's still a temporary structure. It's not going to last. You might have a nice tent, but it's still just a tent. It's just a tent. It is temporary. In actual fact, the language of tents is used even about Jesus. Because if you read in John's Gospel, chapter 1, and verse 14, here's what it reads. It says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory. The one of, this glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Hallelujah. But you see this phrase here? It says, And He made His dwelling among us. Eskenosin is the word it used. It means... He camped among us. He set up his tent among us. Like the tabernacle in the wilderness. He would set, he, the presence of God was in the heart of it, but it was just a tent that surrounded it. And they hear the language of John, the gospel writer, the, the gospel biographer. He's saying that it's only 
a temporary dwelling. Even Jesus' physical dwelling, his physical body was only temporary. The physical one that he came from Mary's womb with was just a temporary physical dwelling. But we tend to focus so much on that. And that's what our culture tells us to do. It tells us we need to get to the gym and do more curls and more weights and run harder and diet harder and look after our bodies and even look after our minds but with the exception of our souls. It even tells us that the tent that we're in, if we don't like it, we can change the tent. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you don't like the male tent you were born in, get a woman's tent. Hallelujah. It's really easy. It's not. But anyway, that's the point about the tent. It is temporary. And the devil is never happier when you forget your soul and focus on the tent. He's never happier than when we forget about the immortal and we, we think about the temporal. Things that are only just time-bound. Things that are short-lived. He is never happier than when we do that. Paul is writing to the Christians in 2 Corinthians and he's talking about the same thing. He uses the same phrase. He uses the word skenos, which is the actual word for tent. And this is what he writes. He says, he says, we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and we leave this earthly body, then we will have a house in heaven. Can you see the difference that he's drawing? Can you see the line he's drawing? Tent Temporary structure here on earth, body, temporary, but then we will have a house, permanent structure in heaven. Ultimately, heaven is our home. Hallelujah. Heaven is your home. Right now, you're a sojourner. Right now, you're a pilgrim. Moving around in this earthly tent. In this earthly tent. It's a very important tent. God says the body is also the temple. But Paul says, he says, and if anybody destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. So we need to treat it with respect and behave properly towards it and towards the bodies of others. However, the point is we can't let it be our only focus. He goes on to say this. We will have a house in heaven and an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. And I love it. The idea that he's using here is because Paul was a tent maker. That's what he did. That's how he funded himself as he went around his business. He actually stitched tents every day. He was stitching seams of tents. And I can imagine that as he was working on the tent, he thought, yeah, this is like what we're like. We're just a temporary structure. This is what our physical body is. And every time he pricked his hand with the needle, he went, ow. Oh, oh, but it's only temporary, it's only a temporary pain, it's not going to last very long, it's not going to, oh, it's only a temporary pain, it's not going to last forever, and that's true, all of our pains will not last forever, yeah. they will not last forever, Praise and yet the enemy, your enemy, the devil, wants you to focus continually on the tent, what does the tent look like, do you think there's anybody, uh, Actually, I won't make that point. Anyway, what does a tent look like? What's your what? Focus on the earthly and the time-bound all the time. He loves it when we're distracted and taken away. Do you know, here's a proposal. Here's a proposal. Do you know this week when you're fasting, can I make a proposal for a fast? How's about you fast from your phone for a couple of evenings this week? Yes. Amen, amen. Yes. Thank you, Pastor Michael. I'll go home and I'll reflect on that now and come back to you. <laughs> fast from your phone. Do you know why? Because I don't know if you've ever noticed it. We can be very clingy with our phones. <clears throat> Do you notice that? We cling to our phones. Oh, that's great news. That's interesting news. And we're picking up bits of news and bits of somebody's holidays and bits and pieces of music and all sorts of bits and pieces. And we're just distracting ourselves from what really matters very often. Very often. Do you know what? It's my experience. Honestly, I mean this. Most people stay away from the invite of God, from going into their presence, not because they can't face God, but because they can't face themselves. Because they can't face themselves. <coughs> but God knows you. 
He accepts you. He takes you just as you are. He takes you just as you are. He know, there's, you're, you're no mystery to him. He knows it all. He knows from your first breath to your last breath in this physical body and well beyond. He takes you just as you are. You will not surprise him by anything you say to him in his presence. Amen. So you might as well pour out your soul. Can I get an amen? amen. Can I get an amen? Here, there's an American Christian writer. His name is Thomas Merton. He passed away in the 1960s. Uh, he was a great writer. And he talked about his conversion in a book called Run to the Mountain, which he wrote in 19... Uh, 1997 and in his book he wrote this beautiful piece about why it is what it is that distracts us so often like for instance let me give you an example do you know when you go this week if you do fast this week I strongly recommend that you fast I strongly recommend you go without food yeah go without your phone fantastic but go without food because in doing so you're telling your body your demanding body that this body isn't what it's all about that's what you're telling him. You're saying, no, my body, that's not the big deal here. But you know what's going to happen the minute you start, you start fasting, your body's going to go, I'm going to die. <laughs> and your enemy, the devil, is going to say to you, you will never survive this. Yeah. Yeah. And one and a half hours into your fast, you will think that this is the end of your life and you're writing your will. It's not the end of your life. Yeah. It will bring you life. Amen. That's what it will do. It will bring you life. It will inspire your life. Because remember this, anytime you do something physical that has a spiritual dimension in it, your body resists it. Paul writes both to the Ephesians and to the Galatians and he says to both of them, lads, this is a battle. It's a war between the physical and the spiritual forward slash soul. That's what it's a battle between. So when we go to do some of that, we will face a battle when we take our eyes of what is temporary. And what is that lasting forever? Thomas Merton wrote this. He said, actually, this is a nice reading. I like this reading. So, if you're willing, I'm going to close your eyes just for a second when I read this. It's all right. Nobody's going to rob your pockets. Nobody's going to steal from you. Your handbag is sound. You're good to go. I'm going to read this. And this is what he wrote about his experience. He said, and to try to be happy by being admired by men or loved by women are warm with alcohol and full of lust, are getting possessions and treasures that turns you away soon from the love of God. And then men and women and drink and lust and greed take precedence over God and they darken his light. And then we are unhappy and afraid and angry and fierce and impatient and we cannot pray and we cannot sit still that is the bitter yoke of sin and for this we leave the mild and easy yoke of Christ restless can't sit still burdened Weary, tired. And Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, my way of living and teaching upon you, and learn from me. For I am gentle, and I am humble in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. Brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, let's focus on what is eternal. Let's focus not on what is temporary. Because I want to ask you a question just before we get to our last verse. Here's the question. What are you looking at? What are you looking at? What has your attention? What is the thing that you look at and that you look to when the trouble starts, when the trials begin? What is the thing that you are looking at today? To me, it's a prophetic question for some people here. You know what you're looking at. And you know whether what you're looking at is good for your soul or bad for your soul. You know that what you're looking at is either adding to your soul or taking away from your soul. You know that what you're looking at is either building you up and pleasing God or tearing you down and displeasing God. Here's what Paul writes. He says, since we've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits at the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. Think about the things of heaven and not the things on the earth. Does that mean that tomorrow morning when you go to work, and the boss says, have you got that report done? You go, no, I was too busy praying. I've got other things to be doing. I'm put my mind in heaven. No, it means you still have to do your work. You still have to care for your home. You still have to be there for your relationships, for your children, for your wife, for your husband, for your friends. You still have to study if you're going to college. You still have to do all these things. But the truth of it is, what is it that we are thinking about that takes us away? What is it that we put our true inner focus on? Is it the things of earth or the things of heaven? Last verse. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, Paul wrote. And he's just after writing about all the trouble he's had, all the hassle he's had. He's beaten up and he was whipped and he got hassle left, right and center. And he went through a period of, it seems, despair and depression. He went through, through an awful lot of trouble. So he says, so we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal it is eternal and when we talk about the things that are seen that can be the troubles it can be the needs it can be the wants it can be the desires it can be the hassle that can be the things that we look at but they're all temporary they're all time-bound they're all going to end whether you wish them whether everything that you love and everything you hate is going to pass away at the same speed but they're all temporary but what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So I'm going to pray and ask, would you be willing to pray today and say, Lord, I accept your invitation. This week I'm going to accept your invitation. I'm going to say, yes, Lord, I'm going to come to your banquet. I'm going to feast at your table. I'm going to listen to what you say about my life. I'm going to listen to your word. I'm going to listen to your opinion. I'm going to be in your presence this week. And let our souls be renewed and refreshed in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Stand with me. We're going to sing. We're going to sing the bridge of the song that we sang a little bit earlier. So, so come on, my soul. Now, don't you get shy on me. Hallelujah. Lift up your song because you've got a line inside of these lungs. Hallelujah. You right, Steve?
Do you sing that? So let's worship together and then we're going to pray. Is that okay? You okay, that? Yes, I want to accept that invitation. Will you raise your hand wherever you are? Throw the other hand up. If you're here today, can we just close our eyes for a moment? And you're weary. You are weary. And you're heavy laden. And troubles and trials and burdens and worries are on your shoulders. And you want to respond to Jesus Christ. When he says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. If you need rest today, will you raise your hand wherever you are? Will you raise the other hand? If you need rest today, as we sing, I'm going to invite you to come forward. And then we're going to pray for God's invitation for our, for our week ahead. If you need rest today, and you want to say, Lord, I'm coming to you, weary and heavy laden. I want to know your rest in my soul today. Hallelujah. As we sing, let's make our way to the front. Come on, my soul. Don't you get shy of me. Lift up your song. Because you got a
Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, the way I live and what I teach, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Hallelujah. Lord, our souls are restless. Lord Augustine, Lord, our souls are restless. And they will continue to be restless until they find their rest in you. Rest in you. Brothers, sisters, if you're able, I know we've already been on our knees, but it's our week of prayer and fasting. We can do it more than once. Can I get an amen? amen. Would you kneel? If you need and you have, you're weary and bored and you want to say, Lord, I want to hand you my burden. I'm, I'm weary and I'm tired. I need your refreshment. I need your rest. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus also said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He said, I am the bread of life. If anyone eats of me, he will never be hungry again. Hallelujah. These were his calls. These were his cries. Hallelujah. You place your burden before the Lord in your hands. Wherever you are, Father in heaven, Lord, we can't do this walk alone. We can't do it. We're not able. We're too distracted, too burdened, too weary. But we know this, Lord. Your word says that those that wait upon the Lord, those that are waiting for God's deliverance, those that are waiting for God's provision, those that are waiting for God to bring a breakthrough in their lives, they that wait upon the Lord will have their strength renewed. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray that this week, Lord, will not be a week when we are either time-bound or earth-bound, Lord. I pray my brothers and sisters, Lord, who are weary and heavy laden this week, Lord, would lay down their burdens in your presence, Lord, and would soar like the eagle as your promise says we will, Lord. I pray, Lord, this week it will be a week of flying and gliding above the problems, above the trials, in God's good heavens, in, a, in his plan for us, Lord. I bring my brothers and sisters before you. I stand with them. I kneel with them, Lord. In our distracted, restless, weary lives, Lord. We ask you, Lord, will you draw near to us? We take up your burden this week, Lord. We lay down our burden and we take up your burden, Lord. This week, Lord, we take up and we look to you. We look to you, Lord, for your deliverance. We look to you for your provision. We look to you for your refreshment and your restoration in our souls. Give us that water. Give us that manna. Give us that bread so that we may have strength and power to face what we need to face, Lord. We come to you this morning, whether we've come for the first time or the 50th time. Lord, we're weary and we need you to lift our burden, Lord. Lord, give us rest. May we have rest in your presence. Lord, may our homes have rest this week. Can I get an amen? Amen. We, Lord, may our workplaces have your rest this week, Lord. Amen. May our relationships have your rest this week. Amen. May our worries and anxieties be gone and have your rest this week. Instead, we pray in Jesus' mighty name and God's people say, Amen. 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 Will you stand with me? Will you a closing prayer? If you said, Lord, I want to accept your invitation this week. I'm going to take the invitation you give me and I'm going to feast at your table. I ask you to raise your hand. Would you raise your hands again for that? 
Now I want you to remember this. When you raise your hands and you respond that you're saying, Lord, I will take time this week to be in your presence. I will set aside the temporary and focus on the eternal this week. Today, I'm not going to focus just on the tent, but I'm going to focus on the immortal soul and what's good for that this week. That's our prayer, okay? Just so as you know, that's what you're praying. Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, we come before you. Lord, I'm going to say, we accept your invitation this week. Can I get an amen? Amen. This week, Lord, we will choose to turn off to the world and turn on to heaven, Lord. Amen. This week, Lord, we will no longer make excuses. Would anyone say amen? amen? But Lord, we will make our presence felt in your presence. Amen. This week, Lord, we ask you that as we gather at your table, Lord, we would know a feast of your blessing in our lives. Can I get an amen? A feast of your restoration. A feast of your refreshment. A feast of your provision. A feast of your protection. And a feast of your presence. Every day and in every way. In Jesus' mighty name and God's people say Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters. Make sure you keep that appointment. Can I get an amen? Please don't forget we're here again on Friday night. You'll be able to lay down your burdens. You'll be able to forgive. You'll be able to put up your prayer requests. You'll be able to tie your family ribbon representing your family. You will be able to say, come Holy Spirit and come Lord Jesus. Friday night, 7.30 if you're available. May God bless you and go with you, brothers and sisters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up the light of his countenance and give you his peace. In Jesus' mighty name, the God's people say, Amen.